Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Welcome to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and I've got a great show lined up for you guys. And as always, if you want to call in, get your thoughts on anything sports-related, whether it's national, regionally, locally, the number to call, 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. you guys. A couple of uh, good guests for you as well. At 7.30, we will head to Doug Shaw Stadium, Myrtle Beach, the Seahawks. Ryan Berger, their quarterback, who just got his first Division One offer of his career uh, just yesterday. He will be joining me at 7.30 to talk about what happened with the recruitment trail, talk about uh, how the Seahawks ended their season, very disappointing ending to their season, obviously, uh, and where the Seahawks go from here, especially without J.J. Jones and that dynamic duo in the receiving core. 
And then at 845, we'll have Lou Bejack from the state come on, talk about a couple of things that are going on throughout the state in high school when it comes to basketball. Currently, looking ahead when it comes to realignment, some things to talk about there, and a bunch of other things with him later on at 845. So be sure to stay tuned for the full three hours for all of that great talk. A lot of great talking points, both nationally and locally, to get to this morning. And we're going to start it off since Ryan Berger is coming on in just a little bit. We will run through some recruiting notes. First, for those recruits who may be listening, hey, there's some good news out there that we found out, some exclusive news that we found out direct from the from the NCAA yesterday, the recruiting dead period as of right now is scheduled to end on April 15th. So only a couple more months to before that dead period goes away and, and players can go on actual visits, coaches can actually visit potential recruits, all of that good stuff, all the stuff that you normally see Unfortunately, a whole entire class uh, had that taken away from them and were had a very odd uh, recruiting period and had a very odd recruitment, uh, those being the current seniors that are moving on to college next season, as well as, to an extent, the, the juniors uh, at you know, are going to become seniors next year. That's something that we'll ask Ryan Berger about um, when he comes on in just a little bit. Uh, right now, so obviously if cases start spiking again, things things are very in flux right now, you know, uh, when it comes to COVID and everything. Um, we we saw the first case of the the mutant strain come here to South Carolina just yesterday as well. Uh, both one one case in the PD and one case down in the Low Country. So everyone still be safe and and all of that good stuff. But now that we're a year on with things, it seems like there's a better idea, there's a better understanding of the virus and all of that. And while, yes, people do still need to be safe and you don't want to catch this virus based on what I've seen, it seems like on a larger scale, groups and individuals have been able to figure out how to be able to do things safely while still getting back to some semblance of normalcy, uh, but that could all change, like I said. So keep, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But as of right now, it is scheduled to end on April 15th, although I did see uh, early, either earlier this week or last week a little bit of a caveat there where it may the, the dead period may end. The the official restriction may end, but there may be what is called what they're calling a quiet period. They may decide to have a bit of a quiet period where officially you're able to do things and visit players and and all of that stuff. But it's 
it's frowned upon and there may be some at least de facto restrictions uh, on what coaches and players can do. The other news that we found out by calling the NCAA Eligibility Center, there is no decision officially yet on how they're going to handle the excess scholarships that we're going to be getting due to the extra year of eligibility uh, that the seniors have accrued this year. Not sure exactly how it's going to work because officially, here's the other thing too. The official understanding, or at least the understanding that I have when it comes to it, is that the 2020 season did not count on anyone's eligibility. Now, obviously, a lot of the freshmen, sophomore, juniors, it's basically essentially just going to act as a redshirt year. And, you know, they may end up, you know, after they either get the degree or the the top the upper echelon players when they decide to go pro, they'd leave and you know that that get that takes care of itself. So next year is going to be the big year that is really going to get impacted by this. But even outside of that, you know this next from the class of 2021 all the way to the class of 2024 and maybe even beyond. You guys are going to get impacted by this. You guys are going to have this, have an impact on you. No no official announcement yet. There is a proposal on the table to not count the seniors against the scholarship count this year, which would essentially offset everything because everyone is essentially added as a red shirt and thus you know it it wouldn't it wouldn't have as big of an impact on the scholarship count on how you recruit and all of that but unfortunately for a lot of you know a lot of schools and a lot of players there is a bit of a blowback there is a there is a what's the word I'm trying to look for there there is some blowback on it uh some of the smaller schools don't want to see that because it would hurt them financially which I understand but at the same time they're kind of the ones that are you know especially who had their best season in history, at least on an FBS level. And they're getting helped out a lot by that, by being able to retain a lot of their seniors that would have been graduating and moving on after last year. And and they're they're reaping the benefits of that. So, but a lot of the bigger schools, understandably, they're also not quite as much as some of the smaller schools because a lot of those guys, especially the top of the line guys, are saying, "Yeah, I could stay another year, but I want to go get paid. I want to go get my money in the NFL." So they're leaving anyway. They would have been leaving regardless. 
So that being said, while it's helping the smaller schools on a competitive level, on an on-the-field level, I can understand why they're kind of hesitant to put it on the off-the-field level because it hurts them financially. And I get that. I get that. But they're going to have to figure out something to where this doesn't this doesn't completely change the landscape of college football on both a recruiting level and on a playing level for the next four years. And, you know, the the top of the line players are still getting their offers. The players that school or the players that schools want, they're still getting their offers and they're still going to figure out a way to get in. But a lot of those middle-of-the-road guys who, under normal circumstances, might have gotten an offer or might have, you know, gotten into, you know, they they might have gotten either an offer or when they did take the offer, they would have been accepted. Those players who needed that extra bump this year they're having to choose between either going to, you know, a D2 or D3 and then and a JUCO. So it's it's creating a bit of a backlog uh, in college football right now. And that's something that they're that they're definitely going to have to figure out. Uh, as of right now, no decision made, obviously. But also, there hasn't been a meeting scheduled yet. So, this is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, see where it goes, because it has big implications on everyone's future when it comes to recruitment and all of that. So, there's your news on recruiting on the college level. Now let's go through a couple of guys who did get those offers this week. Jaden Davis, who's only a freshman from Catawba Ridge. He he was offered by both Oregon and South Carolina. So he's someone that, you know, we watched this season, Catawba Ridge this season, and only a freshman. So he is someone that is definitely going to be one to watch out for moving forward. Definitely, definitely going to try to see if see about getting him on uh, at some point uh, to talk about his recruiting and talk about where he's going uh, from here. Already getting huge offers and only being a freshman. Nairian Bookert. From St. John's Christian, he was offered by South Carolina. Monroe Freeling from Oceanside, offered by Virginia. Jordan Smith from Ridgeview, offered by SC State. Gavin Zimmerman from Crestwood, also offered by SC State. Jaleel Skinner from Greer, he continues to get offers. The junior from Greer. He got offered by... He got offered by both sides of the Red River rivalry. Got offered by Oklahoma and Texas. So that's kind of a bit of a a paradox 
you're saying boomer sooner one day and then hook them horns the next uh, from getting offers for both schools. So he's going to be one to watch out for. He's, he's definitely one that's getting a ton of offers from around the country. So he is one to keep an eye on. CJ Stokes from Hammond offered by both Vanderbilt and Wake Forest. He's another guy that has been getting a lot of offers. Not quite to the level of Skinner. But still getting a good few offers. Kazarius Adams from Great Collegiate offered by Georgia State. Trey Franklin from Ridgeview also offered by Georgia State. Max Morgan from Christchurch offered by Liberty. Stefan Morris from Strom Thurmond offered by Alcorn State. Zay Wells from Lakewood offered by North Carolina A&T. Chase Swigart from Chapman, offered by ECU. Riggs Falconberry from Greenville, offered by Louisville. Jonathan Burns from South Aiken, offered by Gardner-Webb. Sully Harden from Myrtle Beach, also offered by Gardner-Webb. I believe that was his first Division I offer for the All-State kicker from Myrtle Beach. So congrats to him. The man that we're going to be having on in just a little bit, Ryan Berger from Myrtle Beach, got his first Division One offer and his first offer in general from App State yesterday. And we'll talk to him about that in just a little bit. Elijah Vereen from North Myrtle Beach offered by Stetson. Chase Simmons also from North Myrtle. He was offered by Syracuse this week. Currently committed to Coastal. But Syracuse, Power 5 offer, so that's definitely going to make you think think twice about your commitment. And he said he will have his official decision, will have his official uh, commitment. I'm not sure if he'll sign, won't, won't, well, not sure if he'll sign yet or not. Uh, but he will have a commitment next week of the week, so We'll definitely try to get him on next week to get his thoughts on, you know, getting Syracuse offering and and all of that, and and what went into his decision making process uh, after the Syracuse offer. Some commitments this week: Will Fowler from Spartanburg committed to USF, John Javis from Spring Valley committed to Army. Luke Evans from Abbeville committed to Coastal. Cole Hoskins from Chesney committed to Gardner-Webb. Omar Khan from Dorman committed to Presbyterian. Chance Mackey from Clover committed to Charlotte. And Joshua Harris from Carolina Forest was accepted academically into Charlotte. Hasn't gotten any any Division I offers for football, but now has been accepted academically to both Purdue and Charlotte. So congrats to him. We'll we'll try to have him on at some point to see if he's thinking about potentially walking on uh, at one of these D1 programs or if he's just going to, if he's going to just drop football and go to Division One like others have done uh, in his position. Or if if they if he will decide to go to a lower level uh, to play football, Jay Leo for, 
Fuller from Lakewood decommitted from Morgan State. So his recruitment is open once again. Uh, so that he is someone to keep an eye on uh, as we go further into the spring. National Signing Day quickly approaching in just a couple of weeks. So another big signing day and and all of that and keeping track of all of that and, and everything that's involved. And then, you know, you got spring football coming up soon. Uh, Coastal already doing spring practice and they'll have their spring game in February. They're always one of the earliest teams to get back on the field. Last year, they were one of the few teams that were actually able to get their spring game in because they played their spring game, I think, at least either the week bef- either the week right before or maybe even two weeks before uh, the, the day that will forever live in infamy for, uh, for sports fans across the U.S. and potentially even across the world. Uh, so there are your... Uh, recruitment updates for for this week. Like I mentioned, with a few minutes uh, left to go before uh, before Ryan Berger joins us, kind of run down what to expect for the remainder of the show. I have some MLB news, a lot of uh, Hall of Fame based news, shall we say? for the MLB and and a lot of discussion with that and would love to get everyone's thoughts on, on that and what they think is going to happen moving forward with that, along with talking about an unfortunate uh, passing of a hall of famer this week, NBA news over a third of the year, over the, over a third of the way into the season in this slightly shortened season, although not, over-the-top shortened. Talk about some surprises and disappointments uh, in both conferences thus far. NFL, the the quarterback carousel. We normally talk about the coaching carousel, which that's already been in full force uh, since back in December. But now the quarterback carousel, which you don't normally... You don't normally see it quite to the level that we're going to be seeing it this season. You see it a little bit, but not to the level that we're going to be seeing it this season. We'll talk about what what I expect and where things go from here on that level. Obvious, unfortunately, because of everything going on, no Pro Bowl to talk about this week. Uh, but Still, you know, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll talk about everything to expect for that next week. Uh, so that's that's something we'll uh, we'll have to wait on until next week. Ne- next week will be a very Super Bowl heavy based show uh, with a lot of different talking points and and all of that. And then, like I mentioned, we'll we'll talk about some high school basketball. 
talk about what what we're expecting uh with with the playoffs quickly approaching and not just not just the regular SEHSL playoffs but also region tournaments another region officially announced that that they will have a region tournament we'll we'll talk to Lou Bejak about that what his expectations are with that moving forward uh and then also we'll talk about uh the new realignment proposal that is being discussed for not next season next season will be the second and final year of the current realignment but then moving forward from 2022 on we'll fig we'll talk to Lou about what the proposal states uh what he thinks is going to happen with that moving forward and all of that good stuff and then we've got some other news we've got some uh head coaching news uh some talk about you know the always uh the always productive Dutch Fork. We'll talk about them. And so we'll we got a lot of things to talk about this morning. And of course we will have Ryan Berger from Myrtle Beach coming on in just a bit. So be sure to stay tuned right here. We'll take a quick break. And as always, if you wanna call in, get your thoughts. Give me your thoughts of what you expect on the uh, on the you know recruiting front. What you expect on college? What you expect if you want to talk Super Bowl a little early this week? Uh, if you want to talk, um, you know, if you want to talk about you know the Hall of Fame, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, if you want to talk about NBA, if you want to talk about high school, anything you want to talk about, be sure to call on in 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. And hey, we may even talk a little pro wrestling. So be sure to stay tuned right here to Sports Unlimited, only here on Southern Sports Central. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble!
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing. As we just we are waiting for Ryan Berger to call on in. Ryan Berger, the Myrtle Beach quarterback who led the Seahawks to a very strong season. Only lost two games, but those two games were very important. First, both both to North Myrtle Beach. Uh, actually, excuse me, they lost three games. Also losing to Wilson in a shocker uh, that had the whole state talking about how the, the mighty Myrtle Beach had fallen. And, and that was something that, you know, a lot of people going into the season between the hype of, of Ryan Berger, the receiving core without Randall and J.J. Jones, a lot of people, myself included, were picking them as the odds-on favorite uh, to win the whole thing. They were the odds-on favorite to win the state championship. But North Myrtle Beach just came out of nowhere, showed what they were made of, and and dominated the dominated the region, dominated the games against Myrtle Beach. And that's how, you know, we are where we are now. So, still, there he is. Ryan Berger on with us. Ryan, how's it going this morning? Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So, you got your first offer uh it's your first offer in total correct yes sir so first offer from app state uh yesterday 
first describe your relationship with the program and how the offer came about and, and your reaction when you, you got the call yesterday. Well, me and the App State uh, coaching staff have been texting uh, uh, some during the season. So we had a relationship already. And then uh, after the season, they got a new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from Louisville. And uh, I knew him a little bit. So yesterday they called uh, our high school coach, Coach Wilson, and uh, they talked to him. And then they texted me, and uh, we just got talking, and then they just extended a scholarship to me. And my reaction, I was really just surprised. I didn't really know what to say. I I said thank you probably like four times. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course you're you're going to be thankful for that. And and not only that, you know, you've you've had a bunch you, both of your wide receivers getting a ton of offers their junior year. You're a little late to the party, but getting your first, you know, a lot of guys have gotten offers from D2s and D3s prior to getting that D1 offer, but you getting the fir- your first offer coming from a Division 1 program and a program on the rise. Uh, how important is that for you? And and are there any other schools that are that have been in contact with you that you may potentially be uh, looking at seeing getting offers in the future? Yes, sir. App State's a really good program. They win a lot of football games. They're probably one of the top, if not uh, them and Coastal, are right up there for that one of the top group of five schools right now. So that's really good. They're really good program uh some other schools that i've been talking to were virginia tech north carolina state north carolina duke east carolina um harvard a little harvard and then i've had some new colleges text me after uh i got offered by app state too well your stock is definitely on the rise which which is a great thing for you uh even though the season didn't exactly end the way you guys wanted to losing to rival North Myrtle twice most importantly in the lower state finals how much motivation does that give the team to improve in the off season and and what what did coach say to you guys uh after both losses to kind of get you guys ready for next season Yes, sir. We'll definitely have a chip on our shoulder this offseason and already do. Uh, Coach Wilson was extremely proud of us because a lot of us were uh, fighting through some injuries just to be able to play in that game. So a lot of people had cast and all types of things and tape. And we're in the training room every day trying to just get as get as uh, good to go as we could for the game. So. I was just really proud of everybody. I know Coach Wilson was really proud of everybody. So uh, it'll definitely put a chip on our shoulder for next season. And next season you'll have a bit of a tougher time uh, yourself because you won't have that dynamic duel. You won't have that dual threat of both J.J. Jones and Adam Randall on either side of the ball for you. How much of an impact is that going to have only having that one primary target next season? Oh, well, J.J.'s a really good receiver, like really, really good. That's why he's going to North Carolina. So I'm sure it'll, be a, it'll be a loss for sure, but we've got some young guys coming up 
uh, Raekwon Williams, Chikari Harmon, and uh, they'll be really good for us this year. So we should we should be really good at receiver again. Looking back on your first full season under the helm for the Seahawks, what were some of your biggest takeaways for your development uh, personally for, from last season? Um, just uh, really just going through your reads one at a time. And it's okay if you end up on your third, fourth read in games and just trying to extend plays as much as you can. And uh, don't turn over the football, which we had uh, some fumbles at running back and receiver. And I had one or two fumbles too. So we just need to limit turnovers and we should be really good. What what lies ahead for you this season uh, as you head into the senior season? Um, you know, what are your expectations both on the field and, and what are you most looking forward to overall in your final year in high school? Well, I'm just looking forward to playing football. I really miss it right now. So uh, <clears throat> looking forward to spring practice, really, and just looking forward to play and being able to play for a state championship, hopefully. Yeah, well, uh, you guys definitely would prefer to be in the state championship instead of, uh, you know, uh, instead of being out of it. Uh, and any other players that, you know, should be guys on the Seahawks to keep an eye on moving into 2021? Uh, Yes, sir. Trey Phillips, he's a defensive end at uh at Myrtle Beach. Um, Josh Gunn, he's a strong safety. Uh, they're both going to be really good this year, and uh, we've got we've got uh, some offensive linemen that are. We had a really young offensive line last year. We had uh, two two sophomores starting uh, a right tackle playing offensive line for the first time. Uh, at a right guard that was playing right guard for the first time. And we, we just had one returning start, so those guys will be really good this year. Uh, we've got a left tackle, Wade White, that's going to be good. Really, all of those guys will be really good this year. But Josh Gunn and Trey Phillips, the end and strong safety are going to be really good for us. You, you mentioned some of your offensive linemen, and especially for you being more of a traditional pocket passer quarterback, how much of how much help does that have having that those big men in front of you and knowing that you have a good two three seconds before you need to get rid of the ball? It'll be really good this year because they'll get they'll get a lot stronger in the weight room. We've got a great offensive line coach, Coach Toothman and Coach Collier, Coach Britt. They're they're all great offensive line coaches. So uh, we'll we'll always be coached well and. Uh, those guys are going to give their best effort this off season. So those guys will be really good. And they've got a bunch of experience now meeting in a lower state championship playing 10 games so far. So they'll be really good. And I'll, I'll feel really comfortable back there. Especially for some of the younger guys who this was their first season, uh, playing, uh, you know, playing varsity. Do you think there's going to be any sort of, adjustment period for those guys i mean they're used to playing more games even in jv but not quite as many 
as you normally do. Is there going to be a bit of an adjustment por- period, you think, uh, for them having to four games after only playing seven this season? Um, there, there might be a little bit of adjustment because this year will definitely be a longer year than ten games with uh, playoffs and everything because it really takes on a long season because we didn't really even get summer workouts. So, and doing seven on seven and things in spring practice even. So we didn't get through all that. So it'll, it'll definitely get, uh, get people moving in the right way with strength and speed and everything. So we'll get a lot stronger this off season with coach Tedesco. He does a great job and, uh, all of our coaches really do a great job of doing that for us. So we, we should be good to go. How, how much of an impact, both both not having in last year, and how, how much of a difference do you think it will be having those spring practices, being able to get the summer camps in you know more regularly, and being able to get into training camp a lot earlier this year than you did last year uh, to this team? I think it'll be huge for us because we can really focus on the fine details and really get better at everything that we do. Because we have, I want to say, we have nine out of our, eight out of our 11 starters and offense coming back. And we have most of our defense coming back. So uh, everybody knows what they're doing and we just need to just get even better than we are because we're not, we're not good enough yet. So everybody just we need to focus on getting bigger stronger faster because a big part of the Myrtle Beach program is the off season and getting stronger and faster and we missed that this year so we had some injuries so we should limit the injuries this year because we'll be able to get in the weight room and run around and get the 7 a.m workouts in and spring practice and everything so that should be good as of right now, the recruiting dead period for coaches to be able to visit you guys and you guys being able to visit campus and all of that is scheduled to end in the middle of April unless they decide to push it back further. If it's if it stays there and you are able to get some campus visits, meet with coaches, all of that, how much of an impact is that going to have on, on your recruitment and, and your uh, decision-making when it comes to college and how hard has it been not being able to get those things uh, throughout this past year? Well, it's been really tough with COVID not being able to go to camps and everything because I grew a lot between my freshman and sophomore year. And I grew a bunch between the beginning of my sophomore year till about my well right now really so a lot of the coaches haven't really seen me since in between my freshman and sophomore year and I've grown a lot about three inches and 40 pounds since then which is crazy mm-hmm. so I'm a lot bigger and uh COVID I think it's just messed really but everybody's recruiting up being able to visit campuses and go to camps to prove yourself and get offers and get interests and go to visits so It'll be really exciting if this dead period ends and you're able, everybody's able to go to camps and uh, go visits, even if it's just like limited numbers, <clears throat> being able to go on visits and see coaches and see the campus and see everything will be really good and, and uh, be a lot better for my decision. 
Well, thanks a lot for joining me this morning, Ryan, and good luck. Hopefully some more offers come your way, and, and maybe when those come in, we'll we'll bring you back on and talk more about your recruitment moving forward. Thanks, and uh, good luck to everything. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Yep. That's Ryan Berger from Myrtle Beach, the Myrtle Beach quarterback, and he's got he he's got a lot of uh great assets and is gonna be one of the top names uh going into the twenty twenty one season. Uh definitely a guy to watch out for, not not just in the area, but in the state as a whole. And, you know, even going into this season we kinda expected it and we saw it, you know, Myrtle Beach over the last, you know, four, five, six years has had a good quarterback pedigree. You know, you got Dre and Arnold. You got, obviously, you got Luke Doty, who's at South Carolina now. You have Ryan Berger now. Myrtle Beach has been a quarterback, has been a quarterback uh, powerhouse and a, a, a quarterback factory over the last few years and Berger looks to be the next one and you know Luke Doty's brother is is there is is an underclassman there now he looks to be the next man up after Berger leaves and you know it's just it's going to be fun to watch it's going to be fun to watch uh so it, it it's great to see him uh him get those recognitions and and get those offers and all of that. So, with with about 13 minutes before uh the top of the hour and we'll take a break at the top of the hour. I think I I think it's time to talk. I I I know this this, this is uh you know, this is normally a sports show, but you know, this this week this week we'd normally be uh talking about Pro Bowl and whether or not they should be playing in all of that. It it's actually quite ironic. It it's actually quite ironic that, you know, every year they always talk about, oh, should they even bother playing the Pro Bowl? It's a glorified exhibition game and you know, the the threat of injury and, and all of that. But if you really but I think a lot of people now I'm sure there are some cynics and some who, you know, don't don't think of it in the way that I do or in the way a lot of people do, uh, who would say, Oh, good rinse, this is this is a blessing in this in disguise, they should keep it this way, all of that. I think a lot of people Especially this year, and this is something that will definitely be talked about, even though as of right now, based on everything I've seen, it doesn't look like they have any intention of doing this. This is something that the FCS may take into consideration when it comes to spring football. And and I'll talk about this more as we get into it, because I have... I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Uh, I I have kind of mixed feelings about the the notion of the FCS 
um, going to a spring schedule. But we'll talk about that at a later date as we get closer to that occurring. With that being said, this week, this weekend, you know, if you're a sports fan and and if you're primarily a football fan, you know, yeah, you've got NHL, you've got NBA, all that. Although the NHL would also be doing their their all-star game this weekend, which which is always fun. It, It was always fun for me. Uh, you know, this upcoming weekend you have, uh, you have the trifecta for, at least for me, but now this year you only have one of them. You had the NHL All-Star Game, you had the Pro Bowl, and then you had the Royal Rumble. And so you would go, you'd start watching the either the Pro Bowl or the NHL All-Star Game, whichever one started first. I, it, normally, the NHL All-Star Game started first because they have multiple, especially lately, because they have those the multiple games. So you go NHL All-Star Game to start off your day. Then you go to the Pro Bowl, and then once the Rumble starts, you go to the Rumble. But now, this year, you don't have any of that. Well, you have the Rumble, but that's it. So that's why uh, I think in a little bit, I I actually won't talk about it right now because I want to do a little segue into it. But maybe for the end of the show, we'll talk about the Royal Rumble a little bit. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. I want to hear what you guys have to say about the eligibility stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, baseball and the Hall of Fame. And an unfortunate passing uh, earlier this week. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, obviously we got high school basketball going on. We got the stuff with the SEHSL going on. And we have a bunch of NFL news still to talk about uh, that will keep us busy for a while and some NBA news as well. So got a lot of stuff to talk about this morning. Uh but I want to hear from you guys too. I want to hear what you guys think. Um any any topics you want to talk about, any topics would uh you know that would interest you any, any topics that you want you want to get your thoughts on. Uh be sure to call on in. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Before we take a quick break in just a few minutes, run down of a few smaller notes. Uh, we'll we'll run through the, the smaller notes that, um, you know, We'll we'll talk more about we may talk a little bit more about this stuff later on, but just wanted to run through them real quick. Paul Sutherland hired as the new head coach at Liberty High. Congratulations to him. Uh, Fork. We'll run through the two Dutch Fork newses, the 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 two news pieces for for Dutch Fork this week. Uh, you know, the the Dutch Fork 
buzzsaw, as I like to call them. Uh, they finished ranked 13th in the final national top 25 for Max Preps. So congratulations to them, one of the top teams in the country. They were supposed to play, I believe IMG this season, before COVID shut down that aspect of the season. Uh, but I'm sure next year they're going to try to schedule uh, some of the top programs in the nation uh, to face off against them because they are one of the top programs in the nation. And and that's always fun to see. It, it, it's fun to see the the top programs in one state face off against the top programs in the other, uh, even though it really doesn't really do all that much in the grand scheme of things. Because in high school, your main focus is winning a state title, which Dutch Fork is very good at. But it's going to be very interesting. I mean, at this point, I don't know if anyone can stop Dutch Fork. But it's going to be very interesting, and and we're going to talk about this later. It's going to be very interesting to see how the new realignment proposal, if it does get approved, if it does get passed, and it does become implemented, how the new realignment proposal, which we'll talk about later, will impact Dutch Fork's success. Will they con- will they continue being the dynamic, dominant juggernaut that they are, even with, you know, purportedly better teams to face off against, which, I mean, even in 5A, especially, or even with the current system, especially in football, I don't think there would be much movement. I don't think there would be a team that would be so dominant in 4A that they move up to 5A and dominate there, too. Don't think that would happen. Now, could it? Yes. Yes, it could. But would it? Mm, I doubt it. But, and, and I mean, we, we say this every year. Dutch Fork is like the Patriots. We say this every year, and they prove us wrong. And even other programs, we've said this about these programs, but they just, they have the culture. They have the coaching they have the talent the talent pool to to take from it it doesn't matter they still they still dominate but uh the other no- news from Dutch Fork Will Taylor who will be moving on uh moving on to Clemson dual sport athlete baseball and football he was named the Max Preps high school football player of the year for South Carolina so congratulations to him. Congratulations, obviously, to Tom Knotts and <clears throat> and all those guys at Dutch Fork, even though, you know, they, they've beat Carolina Force two years in a row. Not, not, not going to let my, my broadcasting bias get in the way. But, you know, not, not putting it out there. But even with Will Taylor leaving, 
even with Will Taylor leaving. And yes, it's a big blow, but I'm going to go to Carolina Forest. You know, I, I personally thought the fact that they were losing Mason Garcia and, you know, not just Mason Garcia, but Josh Murphy and they, and they also, you know, they lost Josh Murphy. They, they lost, uh, you know, they they lost David Leggett as well. They and, and I, if I rem, they they lost one other uh, person, but I'm drawing a blank on on who it is at the moment. Uh, but the fact that they lost all three all all of those guys and were still able to be successful, um, you know, when losing three of your primary targets. Uh, and then on top of that, and then, you know, on top of that with, with COVID and everything, it it legitimately made me worried that they were going to have a slump year. Oh, the other one is Anthony Morrow. So they lost, they lost four players, one in each skill position that you were thinking going into the season, or at least I was before seeing them in action. They're going to take a hit. They're going to struggle a little bit, especially with the fact that they weren't able to get on the field and practice as much as they would have liked. You thought they were going to take a little bit of a hit and slump a little bit. But nope, they come right out of the gate firing on all cylinders, and they, they won a ton of games. And that's just folk. That's because of the program and because of the culture there. And the same thing goes for Dutch Fork, even more so for Dutch Fork. Tom Knotts, no matter who he loses, he has someone ready to step up and take and build Same thing happened with Mark Morris and Carolina Forrest. So even with Will Taylor leaving, Dutch Fork is still going to be the, the juggernaut that they are. So it's going to be interesting though to see how they uh how they handle the the next couple of seasons. And 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 it's fun it's funny we were you know I heard rumors all season long that they weren't the same they weren't the same. They were they were vulnerable this year. But they proved everyone wrong. And like I said, it's a, it's it's exactly what's said about the Patriots each year prior to when Brady left obviously. This is when Brady was still there. And and in terms of Brady, it's talked about uh, year after year after year. And and what's ironic about it is that, you know, this is, Dutch Fork is because of Tom Knotts. And there are programs like that. It's, it's much easier to do it in college and high school. But, you know, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Every year, you're like, is this going to be the year that they sh- that he shows a little rust? And it never happens. Belichick, however, you know, it. Although the fact that they had the most guys opt out for uh, due to COVID, I'm. It, it is still kind of in the back of my mind of did that play an impact? Did that play an impact? Only time will tell. You know, and and we'll we'll actually talk about the Patriots at least a little bit 
when we come back. I'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'll talk about uh, we'll we'll start talking about the quarterback carousel right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central as we are at the hour mark and we'll switch gears a little bit right now. We talked a lot about high school and high school football primarily with Ryan Berger coming on at 730. Now we're going to switch gears, talk some national news. We'll stay with football first and go out to the NFL And the big news in the NFL is the quarterback carousel that has started up. First, Matthew Stafford announcing uh, earlier this week that he wants to move on from the Lions. He doesn't want to be part of a rebuild, another rebuilding program. And he wants to move on from the Lions. And he has requested a trade out of Detroit. Aaron Rodgers, no official word, but he sounds like he may be looking to get out of Green Bay after another disappointing exit from the playoffs, losing to Tampa Bay last week in the NFC Championship game, them you know, not being able to really get much going against the Tampa Bay defense, all of that. And the fact that he kind of sees that the writing is on the wall, that they're looking to replace him with Jordan Love. He still feels like he has something to prove, but he doesn't. I I have a feeling 
Now, again, this is all just speculation. This is just speculation on my part and on a lot of other people's parts based on his comments that he made after the loss last week that he may want to get out of Green Bay. Big news that came out just yesterday is that Deshaun Watson, we... We've been hearing about it for a few weeks now, but finally he has officially requested a trade from Houston. And now the big question is, where do these guys land? And I saw an article which I kind of agree with, but kind of don't, that the... That the uh, that the NFL out of out of all the teams in the NFL, two thirds need a quarterback. And I think I I think I'd have to agree with that, or I think I'd have to disagree with that. Because let's run it down. Let's go on a team by team basis. Starting in the AFC East. Buffalo, they've got Josh Allen. They're good. They, they, they've they got their quarterback. You know, is he top of the line? Probably not. But, you know, he's, he is a very good quarterback. He can be your franchise quarterback. Miami. Miami is going to be the big wild card here. Because Tua, he played well when he was on the field. But did he do enough to solidify his place in Miami? And more importantly, would Miami rather grow around him? Or do they feel like they have enough in place? Because they had a very good season last year. They went 10-6. and six. It's not like they had no slouch year. The only reason why they didn't make it into the playoffs is because of how strong the AFC is. Miami, do they do they say all we need to get over that hump and to become true contenders is a proven franchise quarterback? And as a result, they go after one of these guys and try to trade away Tua for, for one of these guys? Now, the only option, well, the only two options that really fit for there is either Detroit or Houston. And apparently, Deshaun Watson likes what Miami is building. So that could be a match made in heaven right there. Because Houston wants to rebuild. They want a young quarterback to build around without the drama of Watson. And Tua could be their man. Miami wants a franchise quarterback that they can win with now. That's where Deshaun Watson steps in. Could it happen? Not sure. We'll have to wait and see. But the the potential is there. I could see that being... I, I could see that being where uh, where Watson lands. Watson wants it, which is going to be one of the big determining factors 
for where Watson goes because he has a no trade clause in his contract. So he has to approve the deal before it's done. So he has all he has he holds all the cards. He has all the leverage here when it comes to what happens with him in Houston. And I'm sure Houston are hating it. Because he had, he has the leverage of saying, I don't want to play, and, and, you know, he has reasonings for it, and those reasonings may not be something that the Texans want to have get out. So they're going to want to trade him for that reason. But then at the same time, he also has the leverage of being able to decide where he goes. Now, what's going to be interesting, though, is could a franchise like Miami, knowing this, try to lowball the Texans and just try to trade Tua? Because I'm sure the Texans are going to want to get more than just a new quarterback out of a deal. They're going to want some draft stock. And Miami has it. Miami does have it. They have, you know, they they have a few, uh, they they do have a few uh, draft picks this season. They, they have two first-round draft picks right now. So could it happen? Potentially. I, I I could I I could see it happening. That the the big question mark is going to be, will the will the Dolphins be willing to trade what what they have? Will, will the Dolphins be willing to give up enough to get the te- the Texans to bite? But I think that's probably the most likely. It and and again, obviously the other the other question is going to be, does Miami want to do it? Do they want Watson, or would they rather stick with Tua? That's going to be the first question that Miami is going to have to answer amongst themselves. And then if they want Watson, the second question is, are they willing to give up one of those? draft picks in order to get him because I don't think Houston just does a straight up to a four Watson trade. I just don't. They're going to want to get some something on their return. So that's the Miami situation. Now going down, you got new England, new England has cam, but he didn't exactly do the greatest this season. They're, probably in the market for a quarterback. And with how well Brady did in in New England and the type of coach that Bill Belichick is, I think the most likely scenario out of the three for New England, if Aaron Rodgers is on the market, Belichick's going to want him. So I think that's the most likely place that we're going to see him land. Or that that that's the most likely guy 
for New England to go after. Now the question is, do does New England have enough to convince Green Bay to trade? And that's a big question. That's that's the big if there. Uh, you know that that's going to be the 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 big question uh, there. Uh, will be whether or not the whether or not the Patriots and Bill Belichick are willing to trade for Rodgers. But that's just just based on my interpretation, I think he would be the most likely for the for the Patriots to go after. The Jets do the the Jets have the number two overall pick. But the big question there is who do the Jets go after? I think out of all the three, all three of them, I think the Jets probably go for Watson. But all three guys, there's one big problem with the Jets for all three guys. While the Jets have a new coaching staff and all of that, there is still that stigma and that's and there's still that uncertainty of the Jets organization. And barring some crazy moves, I think the Jets have to deal with that that stigma still. They're a team that it's a it's not exactly a very well run organization it's still in you know a lot of experts would still say it's an organization still in flux do any of these guys because the reason why all three of these guys want out of their current situation is because those franchises at least in their opinion are not doing enough to try to win and are considered in either rebuilding mode or kind of in limbo right now because the Packers, yeah, they win, but they don't, they, they don't win when it counts the most. And Rogers is basically saying, okay, you, you're not giving me enough to win right now. So I'm going to go some, and, and it's, it's clear that you are looking forward instead of looking at the current at, at the present. So I'm going to go and look for a place that I can win now. So that's that's the reason why he's leaving there. So he's, he wants to win now. Stafford wants to win now. He's leaving because the Lions are in a rebuilding mode. And Watson wants to win now. Houston, you know, is kind of falling by the wayside right now. So with all three of those things, with all three of those guys wanting to win and win now, I don't think the Jets... The Jets are going to try. The Jets are definitely going to try to get one of these guys. But I don't think they're in the running for any of them. Unless they throw a ton at them. And I'm not sure about Rodgers' contract or Stafford's. I know Watson has a no-trade clause. 
both Rodgers and Stafford either don't either do have no trade clauses in their contract or have at least some sort of leverage to be able to decide where they want to go. They're not going to get traded to a scrub because that's the whole reason why they want out is to be able to win. And it seems like the the Stafford situation at least to me reading it it seems as though it's a more of a mutually agreed upon situation. There doesn't seem to be any ill will there. So I think the Lions, as long as they're getting, you know, capital for him, as long as they're getting something worth their time for him, they're going to be okay with trading him to wherever he wants to go. So I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. I don't think the Jets are in the running for any of these guys. Steelers? Steelers are an interesting situation because Big Ben has said he's willing to take a hit on his contract in order to allow more cap space to give the Steelers, you know, some cap room in order to uh, go after some more players in order to strengthen their position. They had such a great start to the season, but then a very disappointing finish. But Big Ben is getting older. But it seems that Big Ben at least has another year in in his tank. So I don't think the Steelers are in the running for any of any of those guys. That's just me. Ravens obviously out. They've got Lamar Jackson. Browns probably not. They got Baker Mayfield. And they're a team on the rise. They played very well this year. So I don't think they're they're uh in the market. Bengals? They have Joe Burrow. Yes, he got injured. Yes, it was a very disappointing finish to the season. But they have a lot of faith in him, at least based on what I've seen. So he's not going anywhere. So the AFC North out of the picture. They're, they've got their quarterbacks. AFC South, the Titans. The the Titans, you know, they they have their quarterback to an extent. You know, they they have Ryan Tannehill, but he's not so much getting up there in age. You know, he he's he he's only uh he's only thirty two. He feels like he's been in the league a lot longer though. Just based on how how many times he's bounced or well, he's only bounced around once. But just he's been in the league since twenty twelve. So he's been in the league for a while. And he didn't really do all that much in, in Miami. So I think that's the stigma behind him. But he's played very well in in Tennessee. Haven't quite been able to get them over the hump, though. So that's going to be the big question with Tennessee is, do they still have faith in Tannehill, or do they you know, try to move on from him? As of right now, I'm going to leave them as out. Indianapolis, with Phillip Rivers retiring, I could definitely see them being in the market for a quarterback. Now, the the big question is going to be, you know, uh, the big question is going to be, you know, uh, what 
what they they decide to do uh in terms of you know whether or not they're uh you know able to you know get anything they they don't they they've got some they've got some things they they've got some uh you know draft stock and whatnot but they're not I don't know if they'd be able to uh get any of these quarterbacks and I don't even know who they would necessarily go for uh in that situation so the Colts I think the Colts are definitely they're definitely a team that uh have the ability to go go for one of these guys um do they have uh do do they have the the uh do they have the 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 capital to be able to trade for any of these guys that's going to be the big question for Indianapolis Indianapolis they currently have Indianapolis has the 21st overall pick in the first round. You know, they had a good season this year because of Rivers, but they got hit big with him leaving. So now they have to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? And the fact that they had such a good season kind of hurts them because they don't really have much draft capital to be able to trade away. So they're gonna they're gonna be a team to keep an eye on this season or this off season to see what they do about their quarterback situation. Houston obviously trading away Watson, trying to get you know trying to get something for him. We'll see what happens there. Jacksonville, Jacksonville has the number one overall pick. They'd be very interesting. Do they do they keep that pick and go with Trevor Lawrence, build for the future? Or do they try to trade that number one overall pick for one of these proven quarterbacks? I think they probably keep the pick because they're they're a team that's definitely rebuilding. They don't even outside of the quarterback position, they don't really have many pieces around it. So I don't think they're a team that is just a quarterback away from making a run. So they're a team that I think would just stay away. They're going to take Trevor Lawrence with the number one overall pick, and that's that. Chiefs have Mahomes. Raiders have Carr, although, you know, they only went eight and eight. How much, how much faith do they really have in Derek Carr? Do, do they decide to stick with him or do they decide to move on? They do have Marcus Mariota there as well, but again, you know, do they really have enough faith in either one of those guys? Or do they decide to try to go after a proven quarterback? That that would be that's gonna be an interesting to watch. Thing to watch. Los Angeles Chargers, they they've got uh Justin Herbert, they've got their quarterback of the future. Broncos. Broncos are gonna be an interesting team to keep an eye on. They don't really have a quarterback right now. They've got Drew Locke out there. 
Now, the question is, what would they trade away? The the Broncos... The, the Broncos do have, uh, you know, a decent pick in the draft. They, they're at number nine. But quarterbacks, the, the top-of-the-line quarterbacks, are they going to be gone at that point? That's going to be the big question. You know, is, is, is whether – if, you know – is whether a team is willing to take that chance on a quarterback being there. Uh, you know, going over to the NFC, Washington. Yeah, they they have, you know, they, they, they've got uh, Alex Smith, and they've got that, the the huge story there with Smith coming back from the injury and all of that. And he seems like he's good to go and all of that, but is he really the quarterback of the future in Washington? That's going to be a big question. That's going to be something to watch is, is he the, is do Washington stick with him or do they try to move on somewhere else? The giants. Now, yeah, yeah, they, they, they've got, uh, Yeah, you know, yeah, they've got Daniel Jones, and yeah, you know, he was in all of that, and and you you don't want to move away from him too quickly, and and yes, they had injuries this year. Saquon went out early on, and they've had injuries throughout his entire tenure in New York, but. Where you say enough has been enough, and it's time for a change. The the old Owen Hart uh, quote: "Enough is enough, and it's time for a change." Woo! Uh, you know, it, is it, it is is has there been enough time to say maybe we need to move on? Maybe we need to move in a different direction. But again, with with the Giants, it's a situation of do we trade away Daniel Jones? And even if we trade away Jones, we're going to probably need to trade away more stock in order to be able to convince one of these teams to trade away their, you know, what used to be their franchise quarterback. Dallas? Dallas is a very interesting situation because you've got Dak there. But obviously Dak with his whole contract situation is a very interesting situation. Dak in, in Dallas, he's still kind of on the fence because Dallas, especially after the injury, especially after missing half the season this year, does do Dallas, decide to move on from Dak and let him go to a team that's willing to pay him and Dallas potentially getting a, a player that's already locked up with a contract um, 
know, through a trade? Or do they decide to stick with that? That's an interesting concept. That's an interesting question and something that's going to be uh, that's going to have to be kept an eye on. Eagles seems like they're going to stick with Jalen Hurts. Obviously, the whole situation with Carson Wentz. I don't think Philly, especially after all the hoopla this season with Carson Wentz, I don't think they decide to go after one of these quarterbacks. Packers obviously getting more than likely, at least at this point, looking to offload Rodgers. But they have Jordan Love in the back, right behind him. So if they were to if they were to get rid of Aaron the quarterback back, they'd be just going with Jordan Love. The Bears, you know, the the debacle with Mitchell Trubisky. Do the Bears try to go after one of these guys? Because that may be a situation. The Bears may be one of those teams one of the few teams that I would say is just a quarterback away from being a legitimate contender. Do they move on a, you know, on a, uh, on, you know, maybe cross, maybe, you know, move, move uh, Aaron Rodgers a, a few miles down to Chicago. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting one to see what what happens with that. The Vikings, the Vikings, they they've got Kirk Cousins, but I'm not sure if he's necessarily their quarterback of the future. I don't think he is, especially with how they finished the season. I I and and especially with how good their wide receiver core is. I think they may be a franchise quarterback away from being a legitimate contenders contender. So do they potentially try to move either Aaron Rodgers a little a little ways west, pull another Brett Favre, or do they try to get, you know, another division rival? That's going to be the interesting thing about the Bears and Vikings being contenders for any of these quarterbacks or for Rodgers and, and Stafford specifically, is do the or do the Packers and Lions are they less willing to trade their franchise quarterback to a division rival? Keep an eye on. I think those two teams, if they're going to get a, a one of these three quarterbacks, it's more than likely going to be Deshaun Watson because there's not that stigma of get of for the Texans of trading their quarterback away to a divisional rival. So that's going to be something that's going to be that you're going to have to keep an eye on. Lions, they're trying to get rid of Stafford. They're not going to try to get a, another franchise quarterback into a losing situation. They're building for the future. AFC South, the Saints, no indication yet, but is Drew Brees on his last legs? It, is he is he going to retire? If he stays around for another year, I don't see the Saints going after any of these quarterbacks. But if he says, you know, in in March that he's done, that he's retiring, I could see them going after one of these guys. Now, they have Jameis Winston. They have Jason Hill. 
but do you trust either one of them enough to be your quarterback of the future? Probably not, especially if one of those quarterbacks are right there waiting to be waiting to be taken. Now again, Saints, you know, they're a good team, so they don't have much draft stock. Do they have enough to convince one of these teams to trade away their franchise quarterback? Probably not. Tampa Bay, they've got Brady. They, you know, Brady's not going to retire anytime soon. He's he he's he's a uh, he's immortal apparently. Carolina, Carolina's going to be an interesting one to consider. You know, they got Teddy Bridgewater there, but he didn't really do all that much for them. I mean, he he, he wasn't exactly a hundred percent all season, but you know, I don't think he's the quarterback of the future in Carolina either. Do they go after, you know, especially with how much success they had with Cam Newton, do they go after uh, Deshaun Watson? Do they try to go for for Watson? Now, do they have enough to get him out of uh, Houston? I'm not sure. They've got they they've got the number eight overall pick. So, but again, is that going to be high enough to convince the Texans that we can get a new quarterback, or do they take Bridgewater off the Panthers? That's going to be an interest. That that could be an interesting question. The Falcons, they've got Matt Ryan. But he's starting to get up there in age. Not sure how much longer he has. Do they decide to trade away Ryan to get one of these guys? I don't know how well Ryan would like that. So I'm I'm going to say the Falcons are out of the running for those. Especially with them having the fourth overall pick. They can get pieces around the uh, around Ryan that may be able to help them turn things around. I mean, think of it, you know, this is a team that just a few years ago was in the Super Bowl. So it's not like this is a team that doesn't have anything and are in complete rebuild mode. If they could get a few pieces around Matt Ryan, reduce the injury bug in that pro in that organization, I think they could be a legitimate threat again. Seattle, they got Russell Wilson. They're not going anywhere. Los Angeles, they got Jared Goff. Or, yeah. Well, Los Angeles is is actually kind of an interesting one. Because just looking at it on paper, and, and and, and this is my opinion on it, all these people are saying, oh, Jared Goff is overrated. Jared Goff is overrated. Jared Goff is overrated. Really look at it. The Rams have been, you know, they haven't been quite to their Super Bowl level that they were a few years ago. But they've been one of the better teams in the NFC. They, they've been a consistent playoff team over the last few years. So I don't see why you necessarily move away from Jared Goff yet. 
Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. They could decide, hey, let's trade Galway to get one of these more, you know, proven franchise quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson gone to a Super Bowl? No. Rodgers has. So, pretend maybe you bring in the veteran experience of Rodgers, but do you really trade away a younger quarterback who has also a guy needs to the playoffs for a, a more veteran quarterback who may only have maybe two, three years left on him? I don't know. If if you think Jared Goff isn't enough to get you in, get you to back to the Super Bowl, and you think you're just a quarterback away from getting to the Super Bowl, then maybe you do it. But my opinion on it is I don't think uh, I don't think that's that's what's going to happen. Arizona, they got Tyler Murray. They're not moving anywhere. And San Francisco, which this is a very weird one, because I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, could San Francisco be in the hunt right now?" And personally, I would say no. Because this is a team that not only do they have Jimmy Garoppolo, who got injured last year, that couldn't be helped. But not only do they have Jimmy Garoppolo, they have Josh Rosen as well. See this being a team that's in need of a quarterback. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... Maybe this is me being, you know, too optimistic on San Francisco. But this is a team that just made the Super Bowl last season under Garoppolo. Why are why are people so quick to move away from Garoppolo just because he was injured all year? I don't get it. I don't get it. So those are my thoughts on, on each team and their viability to get either of these, any of these quarterbacks. I think the most likely options are either Miami. I could see Miami being a legitimate option. I could see the Patriots being a legitimate option. It's going to be tricky because they don't really have much to trade away. I could see Denver being a legitimate option. I could see, you know, Dallas would be an interesting option. I don't know if they would or not, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Dak. I could see Chicago potentially being an option for Watson. I could see Minnesota potentially being an option for Watson. But again, their their problem is going to be what what do they give up? What are they able to give up? New Orleans... They don't really have much to give away uh, unless one of those teams really wants either Watson or uh, or Winston, rather, or uh, or um, or Hill. Carolina, I could see being an option. And that's it. So those are the teams. You know, a lot of, you know, I, I, like I said, I saw this article that was saying, you know, over two thirds of the teams are, are questioning their quarterback situation. 
I don't buy. I, I mean, I buy it to an extent, but I think a lot of teams are like the quarterback position is so is is so overblown now, and and teams have you know give quarterbacks so little time to prove themselves now that it's like, and and, and this is one of those you know this is one of the only times that you ever see multiple franchise quarterbacks being on the market. You rarely ever see franchise quarterbacks being free agent. Well, not free agents, but being on the market. But it's going to be interesting to see how many teams are even maybe willing to move away from proven quarterbacks in order to get these shinier toys. Or at least they're, they perceive as shinier toys. So that's uh that's my thought i think the the main the main the main players in this are going to be the dolphins patriots potentially the jets yeah i i'd say dolphins patriots jets potentially the colts but probably not enver Potentially Minnesota and potentially De- and potentially Detroit and then Carolina, Ca- Carolina. That's it. Those those are the teams to look out for going into this the these sweepstakes for these quarterbacks. So with just a few minutes to go before uh, Lou Bejack from the state joins me, I'm gonna run real quick the proposal. Uh, that came out yesterday, new realignment proposal for the SEHSL that could create a promotion slash relegation system. And w- I'm going to ask more questions about it to Lou, and, and he'll explain it in more detail. But basically, this would not ju- this would not be an entire program situation. This would be on a sport-by-sport basis. So you could potentially see different sports being in different classifications. But it would not be a yearly thing. This would not be like – this would not be a regular soccer promotion relegation where, you know, the champions or the top couple of teams in one one classification move up and the bottom of the other move down on a yearly basis. This would be an overall, you know, what teams were the best in those two years and who deserves to move up and who were the worst and, and need to move down. And no program can go more than two classifications up or down from the majority of the other teams. So you could see a school that's primarily in 4A have a couple of school have a couple of teams that are in 5A and a couple of teams that are in 3A but no further than that not sure exactly how that would work if if mo- if the majority of schools or the majority of the programs move down or up or or what have you that's something that we'll have to ask Lou about uh was talked about last year but didn't really get much support. Uh, again, when Lou comes on, he's about to come on. There he is. Lou Bejak, how's it going this morning? Pretty good, Brandon. How you doing? 
Pretty good, pretty good. I was just telling everyone, explaining what's going on or um, what what the proposal was for that potential uh, reclassification and and promotion and relegation. Uh, explain to everyone exactly how it would work uh, if they were to go with that proposal. Let me get it in front of me first. <laughs> um, <laughs> checking out the. I mean, basically. Basically, if you have postseason success and you're in a lower classification, you will be moved up over a long period of time. You're going to be moved up. Um, they got a point system. I mean, the, as far as uh, wins over, uh, like say, like a, a 1A team, I mean, you get so many points uh, based on uh, wins over a certain classification team. Um, and basically how you get to go in, in the in the postseason. You get uh, five points uh, for making the state championship, four for semifinals, three quarterfinals, um, stuff like that. Ba- basically it's done for not indirectly, but to affect uh, the private and charter schools that have had success in the postseason, make them move up, but not directly saying it. Because last mm-hmm. year during the competitive balance meeting, this came up last year during the uh, competitive balance uh, committee, uh, which included private and public schools. Um, but it was mainly aimed at them. But this way, it's aimed at everyone. So you could have a team that's a r- really good uh, Class A team that's uh, winning uh, maybe basketball state championships or something, but make them move up, but not specifically targeted the private and charter schools. Well, in in no words per se. Yeah, yeah. Explain to me first because you have you have the SEHSL, which supposedly for the public schools, and then you have SCISA for the private schools. Why are some private schools in the SEHSL? Because they want to be. I mean, it's. I mean, you pay your. I mean, it's they they pay their uh, fee. I mean, uh, to to join this. CHSL and they they think that's a better fit and their enrollment I mean and uh, for competition as well so yeah that's kind of why they want to do it um and there's more charter schools popping up and schools like York Prep that's officially in the thing uh SCHSL this year and will be eligible for playoffs and you got schools like Great Collegiate and Legion and stuff like that that yeah. I mean uh, the, it would make kind of make sense. I mean, like you take Great Collegiate for example. I mean, they won three straight uh, basketball state championships. I mean, so they definitely would be relegated to playing three, be up to three or four A or however uh, if they keep winning. So, and I mean, so you could honestly have a team that's made their football team might be a two A, but basketball will be four A, five A school. So. Oh, you could see that much of a discrepancy. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean, so you look at Gray. I mean, you're winning state championships, and you're beating yeah. teams. They they play teams that are uh, outside of the region for sure, and uh, they've beaten uh, big, big programs in that. Yeah, and you look at Keenan, even like schools here, like Keenan basketball, and the success they've had. You could see them being a 4A or 5A, um, that w- with the postseason success and the championship success uh, that they've had. Um, it won't affect the schools like the Dormans and Ridgeview and basketball and the Dutch Fork because they're going to be the biggest classification anyway. I mean, yeah. so it's more aimed at, like I said, not indirectly in the language, 
for public and for the charter and uh, privates can move up, but not saying it specifically, not targeting and say, hey, you have to move up. And it's going to have everyone involved. And um, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, it it came up last year. It didn't have much traction. Um, I know there wasn't. Uh, it's definitely it's a complicated process for sure, looking at everything. And uh, they're, they're going to have a couple other meetings, but it's going to have to go before the executive committee um, at some point and the athletic director. So we'll see. Has Have you heard more rumblings of, is there a chance that this might actually get some traction this time around, or is this another situation where it's they're bringing it to the table again, but more than likely it won't be approved? Well, the fact that it's being discussed and brought, um, I think it's a little more involved. They talked about it last year, based, basing their thing on the Indiana system. Um, but it just, like I said, it never got, uh, the approval and the traction, but uh, I think the people behind it are uh, they, they feel good about it. But it's like I said, it's gonna ha- gonna have to get a a good backing uh, for it to happen. I know some a lot of schools are are in favor of this, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Mo- moving on to the hardwood, uh, with the discrepancies of how each region season is going, is there going to be a situation where? Some regions will be playing tournaments. Obviously, a lot of the low country and regions have announced that they are playing tournaments. But are some of the are some of the regions in the Midlands and in the Upstate who have been playing primarily throughout this whole thing haven't really stopped? Are they just going to use the playoff system, uh, or not the playoff system? the records to determine who gets into the playoffs. Uh, what's your, what's the latest you're hearing from re- regions in the Midlands? When yeah. it comes to that? Well, the region, the only region in the Midlands that's going to do a conference tournament is uh, uh, region five, three, a, which is Brooklyn, Casey, OW, Gilbert, uh, Swansea, Fox Creek, and that like <laughs> OW and Gilbert. I mean, they just, the boys just had, <laughs> had the shutdown. They played the other night, Tuesday, and then the next day, a Gilbert player tested positive. So they're going to be out actually the two weeks. So they won't come back till the first day of that conference tournament. So it's, it's going to be weird. I mean, um, I think, like I said, the upstate pretty much have been unscathed for the most part. And they're going to use, and at most of the schools, the regions in the Midlands are going to use the two weeks. Like mostly everyone's ending up their regular season next week. So there's going to be two weeks you have until you have to have the playoff qualifiers in to the league to the 18th to try and do makeup games. So they're going to just try to do it that way. Um, the region tournament's a good deal, especially like you said, the the Myrtle Beach area, um, the Hilton Head area. Some have only played a few games. I know Wilson High School in Florence, I think their boys team has only played two games all season. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that they're going to do it like that, and the way their region is doing that with Myrtle Beach and that, they they did a blind draw for. Yep. I mean, they basically drew out of a hat. Which, yep. I mean, and you look at one of the matches. I think it's Wilson and Hartsville, maybe in the first round. Yeah. So you have two teams that could make deep runs in the playoffs, possibly, and they're going to play first. I mean, it was interesting they did it that way, but um, that's going to be the way to get it done. I did hear for some coaches. I mean, they're worried. I mean, if they know their playoff positioning. They're they're not going to want to make up games just in case. I mean, you get, I mean, to have that 
chance that, I mean, say you're one week away from the playoffs and then you're you're playing a makeup game that they that they don't really you're playing that they don't have to play and then you get a exposure or something like that and then you're done for the playoffs. So um yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know some some regions are getting closer than others. I know we can crown a couple region championships tonight here in the Midlands. So uh we'll see. It's definitely been a tough year yeah. starting and stopping and I mean, I think <laughs> Commissioner Singleton said at one point, I think there are more games being canceled than being played per week. Um, I know pretty much all of our teams have stopped or started, um, whether it be the district shut them down during Christmas and a little after or their own. I know like teams like AC Floor and Keenan boys, they, they've been shut down twice, uh, two different times. So it's definitely been tough. And I know uh, once they hope to get to the playoffs and then maybe things will kind of hopefully not gonna um uh, things could uh, balance out a little bit but we'll see and uh, hopefully nothing will happen yeah yeah well like you mentioned you know uh, especially up here it's been uh you know very stop and start i know north merrill beach they played two games or well boys played two games and the girls played three games or actually four games and then they had to shut down entirely for two weeks, and the boys were able to play in the beach ball. But then, uh, then after that, the 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 uh, county shut down. Uh, but now it's you know the tournament. Have you heard anything about? I'm assuming just based on the time constraints, if you get a case during the tournament, you're just done. Yeah, you're done. The only way, like I said, the only way it happened was before a first round game. Um, you, you could be replaced, or if it's championship. If it happens in the, the week of the championship, they would push it back like they did uh, the Marion uh, Abbeville, the 2A state championship game. Now, assuming this happened, uh, although I'm not – I think – I don't know if there would be enough time even. Uh, if a If a school got a case, before a region tournament final, do you know? Have you heard anything about what would happen in that? I think situation? you would have to pull. Well, if you're in the region tournament final, you're in the playoff. I mean, because they, they're taking yeah, the top the two seeding. teams. But the seeding. Yeah, you, would if be you make up. it to the region tournament final, you're in the playoffs. The top two teams yeah. make it. So. Yeah. But if you would have something after that, I mean, depending on when your game is. I mean, if your region tournament finals on February 14th playoffs start February 20th, I mean, you'll just be... How would a region then determine who gets in for those regions, I guess, the, the runners I mean, up? yeah, everyone would be different. Probably a third-place team that finish in the regular season or just that, that team that they were going to play in the playoffs, get a bye. We saw that happen, I mean, with the yeah. Oceanside in football. So, it's touch and go, man. <laughs> it's every, every Yeah, it's... So. It, it is. It is. That is for sure. Um, has has the has the league said anything further about you know what they or what they want to see you know going into the playoffs or are they just basically just playing you know the regions take care of everything themselves? Yeah, they're letting everyone. I mean, and everyone's pretty much going to be back. Uh, Sumter is finally going to go back to playing uh, next week as well. Uh, and they had been probably the last one out. Florence 
had been back to practice this week in that and area. But uh, Sumter's was the last one. There was talk that they would shut it down, but they decided earlier this week that they'll be able to go back and uh, the three schools, Sumter, Lakewood, and Crestwood, uh, will be able to go go forward and play. I know uh, they're, Lakewood and Crestwood are in a region with Camden and Lake City and that in Marlboro County here. Um, I know what they're going to do is they're just playing everyone once. And basically, you're one game. I mean, and then that's the teams with the best record. They were talking about doing a tournament, but just because Crestwood and Lakewood were off so long, I mean, they didn't get to play anyone yet. So they're going to try to play everyone once and just um, the, your, their seed would be uh, based on that. I mean, the top two teams. And if there was tiebreakers, I think they might play it off on the uh, the court. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear what happens with Region 6-5A, which is primarily here in the Myrtle Beach area. But um, I know that some teams are playing, but there have been some quarantines even after coming back. Uh, I think Yeah, it was and like Sumter, I mean, they won't be back till, um, like I said, I think the third is when they're going to be back. So they'll have to play those games, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that yeah. Carolina Forest region, Conley, um, we'll, we'll – St. James, it's it's gonna be interesting. It just uh, like I said, it's been it's been a weird year. I know some coaches kind of uh, the ones that are have chance they're plugging through, and some are ready ready for the season to be done for sure. What what have you been hearing from coaches? Uh, like you mentioned, some are just kind of trying to push through, and others are just like, okay, I've had enough of this. Uh, what are some of the teams that? Uh, have impressed you that have really caught your eye that may be able to do more in the playoffs because of how crazy this season has been? Well, you got a team like AC Floor, the boys. I mean, they've been, like I said, they're in their, they're right now, they're out for a few more days. It's their second stoppage, but they're undefeated. They've been able to press through. Uh, they're probably going to win the region. They've played five of their 10 region games, and hopefully they can at least get eight games in, eight or more. Um, I think they they can make some damage. I think Ridgeview, um, they they haven't stopped except for when the district shut them down for a few weeks. Um, they really look good, and they'll probably play Blythewood for the region championship next week. They played twice to end the regular season, and that region has gotten through every game. Um, Ridgeview, Spring Valley, Blythewood, Northwestern, Rock Hill. Um, I really like the Ridgeview boys. I didn't know – what to expect. They're moving up to class five A. They lost a lot. I mean, they've won three state titles in a row. I, I think they can give Dorman a run for their money in the upper state. I mean, that's probably gonna be the upper state championship, um, for sure. Uh the way those two teams uh, are headed. Dorman really struggled a little bit at the beginning, but they they've got it going. Uh Keenan, I think both their girls team for sure I think is gonna be uh they they're in the middle of a quarantine, but um I mean that they're really good. I mean, you got Paul Wiley, who's probably one of the best players in the state, boys or girls. I mean, uh, she's phenomenal. So I think they can make a run. The boys have struggled a little bit. Uh, a couple losses. They lost OW last week uh, and Mid Carolina. So they best haven't been as dominant as they have been. So um, 3A could be a little bit more wide open. I think Great Collegiate definitely is the favorite in 2A boys. Uh, they, they've been they've been pretty dominant for sure. Um, and uh, going through region play and. Uh, definitely will be the favorite in 2A. One one final question before we let you go. Uh, you know, in, in foot, you know, going to the NFL, Deshaun Watson asking uh, for a trade. 
Any thoughts on where he may land? I know you're a Steeler fan. I saw on Twitter you were like, go after him, Steelers. Uh, but do you, do you think, especially after what came out with Ben saying that he wants to reduce his contract to give some more cap space for the franchise to be able to get some more players, is that a landing yeah. spot potentially, or do you think he do you think Deshaun's going somewhere else? Yeah, he's not going to Pittsburgh. It would just no. be financially. It wouldn't make sense. I mean, with Roethlisberger coming back, I think Panthers, Jets, 49ers, I think would be three of the, the favorites, maybe throwing the Bears. Um, just uh, the Dolphins as well, if they could package Tua and um, get Houston, if they can, uh, the Texans could get Tua and, and their draft pick, maybe, like I said, maybe Tua and Devonta Smith uh, reunite them there and with the Texans and then go to Miami, give them that franchise quarterback that they've so wanted. Uh, I think one of those five teams right there, I, I think is where he's going to end up just based yeah. logically. Um, the Jets ha- have a lot of things to play with uh, to offer a- as well. And uh, for, and I know Deshaun, I mean, based on what, what I've read, he wouldn't mind being in New York. That would definitely help him from a marketing standpoint and anything. And, uh, so we'll see. Or the Texans could change them. I mean, you could demand a trade. Maybe things could get worked out. Who, who knows um, what could happen. I mean, Texans better get everything they can because you just don't give up franchise quarterbacks oh. like that um, uh, in the prime of their career. Yeah, de- definitely, definitely. It's still, it's still surprising to me to hear San Francisco being named so often, though, because, yes, Jimmy Garoppolo had a, you know, had a, an injury short in season this year, but he led them to the Super Bowl just two years ago. So it's a, it's shocking to me that they're so quick to move, uh, move away from him after, after him getting them to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, he's not healthy. I don't think they'd see him long-term as a solution. I think Watson would be a definite upgrade for sure. And especially with Kyle Shanahan and that offense as well. Well, thanks a lot for joining me, Lou, this morning. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That was Lou Bejack from the state. Always fun talking to him. We'll take a quick break and then come right back uh, and finish some things off, have a few other things to talk about. And, as always, if you want to get your thoughts on anything sports-related, call on in 323-784-9681. That number again, 323 Nine six eight one. We'll be right back. Hey yo, you ready? Let's do it. Dog, we ain't never left, we just move in silence and rep to the death. 
death is official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama, the saga continues. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. I push it down with the Harlem heat All of a sudden, got a problem with me Black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat And you know what? For some strange reason I'm off of this medication, feeling deranged needing For y'all to put the word out We ain't leaving We trying to be rich before we all stop breathing Therefore, we kind of hustle lame Stay laying down our muscle game Still turn your dreams to flames you got the wire, if not, I ain't saying no names, you soon expire, no pain, I feel remorseless, of course it's me and Diddy up first, raising portions with the big twin valve exhausted, on the cover of your vibe, yeah. double like sounds yeah. and sauce, come here, yeah. we ain't going nowhere, we ain't going nowhere, we can't be stopped now, this is bad boy for life, we ain't going Welcome back to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central. Brandon Biscobing here with just a little under an hour left to go in the show. And as always, if you want to call in, get your thoughts out on anything sports-related. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll move on to some MLB news real quick, and then we'll talk some NBA stuff to finish off the show. First off, some sad news in the baseball world. Hammer and Hank, Hank Aaron, died at 86 earlier this week. Uh, you know, he is he is the home run king. Yes, technically Barry Bonds has it, but I think a lot of people would agree that Hank Aaron is the is the rightful owner to that claim. Um, and that's something that we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, because, and, but before we move on to that, just say, you know, condolences to his family and everything. He was an icon, a legend in the game. Uh, you know, the iconic moment of him hitting 715, all of that. Uh, and, you know, he was a great ambassador for the game, and he will definitely be missed. But with, with that being said, you know, moving on to, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was a Hall of Famer, and the voting is in for this year in the Hall of Fame, and nobody got in. Zip, not a zilch. This is the first time since 2013 that nobody was voted into the hall in a season. And the big question is, did anyone really deserve it this year? And we're starting to get into the heart of the steroids era. So it's going to get even harder to see. It's going to get even harder to have people get in. You know, each year it's going to, there's going to be fewer and fewer guys 
going in. Here are some of the top names that were just off. You have to get 75% of the vote uh, in order to get in. Uh, Kurt Schilling was at on the top with 71.1% of the vote, and he came out publicly. He was He was not happy at all telling the writers to basically go screw themselves and to pull him off of the ballot uh, for the writers and to allow, you know, he said he wants the players to, or the, you know, the, the Hall of Fame board, the players uh, who are in the hall right now to vote him in. Uh, but, you know, question is, will he even get in there? And, and whether or not it's, it's necessarily right or wrong. I'm not here to de- to say whether it's right or wrong. I think there should be a little bit of this, and and a lot of people will say, oh, what about Ty Cobb? Uh, you know, what about other players who haven't exactly been less, who have been less than stellar as human beings? Well, this is a different era. Uh, and and even looking at his, you know, look, even looking at his numbers, uh, you know, out, outside of his playoff performances and and the legend of the bloody sock and all of that, he only won 216 games. It's not, and, and he only he he only uh, he didn't exactly. Uh, you know, do a ton uh, in the league. Yeah, yes, he was a great player. I, I'm not going to discount that. Yes, he was one of the best players of his generation. And what will what gives him the added bonus is that there has never been any inkling or any sort of anything that has made it made him. Uh, be considered a steroid user. They no 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 allegations have ever come out with him. So being you know being a part of that generation without having any steroids allegations that helps him. But what doesn't help him is his you know not just his added not just the numbers but his attitude. Uh, you know, his, his politics don't exactly help him, which, you know, like I said, I'm not here to necessarily say whether that's a, uh, but especially nowadays, the, you know, for the Hall of Fame, the man you are is just as important as the player you are. And, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to say whether it's right or wrong, you know, the the argument could be made on both sides. The argument made on on the side to let him in and say, "Hey, look at Ty Cobb, look at other players in past eras uh, that have been less than stellar people off the field." And I can understand that. I I can understand where people are coming from on that level. Uh, but today's a different era. Uh, so, will he get in? I think he probably will eventually get in. But 
the question is when. I I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys. I have a feeling give it, you know, 20, 30, you know, however long it takes. But I think a lot of these guys that I'm going to mention are going to end up in the hall after they're a- after they're dead. I think that's what I think that's what's going to end up happening is that they're going to end up in after the fact. So going through a few other names uh, on the list, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, obviously, uh, they were at a little over 60%. They're going to be other guys, you know, and and here's my thought on the, on the steroid era. You know, Schilling has the added issues of his attitude and, and his political stuff. And Clemens and and Bonds, yeah, you could say they have the added issue of them lying about it, et cetera, et cetera. But my thought on the steroid era is this. And and I I, I wish I forget if a study has been done or not about this. But if let's say even over half if over half of the players from the the mid 90s to the the late 2000s use steroids then you can't really necessarily say it gave them a competitive advantage because they're playing on a level playing field yes you could say it gives them an advantage and and, and it increases their numbers and yes, for records, you put an asterisk next to it. You know, like Barry Bonds's, you know, home run record. You put an asterisk next to it. And you can put an asterisk next to their plaque. But you still let them in. Just because they were still the top of their game of that era. And I'm not I don't like removing someone someone from history. You know, the the comparison I use it to and maybe this is a bad comparison. I would love to get people's thoughts on this. Maybe this is a a bad comparison, but I what I would compare the steroid era to, especially on a pitching level, especially when it comes to Clemens, is would you take out a pitcher who was dominant during the and, and used it very effectively and, and used it a lot? Would you take a pitcher out that was very good with a spitball in the spitball era? Or would you take out, you know, would you take out a Cy Young or a Walter Johnson? who pitched during the dead ball era. The game was very different then. It favored pitching a lot. There were rules and there were different ways that players could do things to the ball that that is that are illegal now in the game. Does that diminish their accomplishments? I mean, to some it might. 
But do you take them out of the Hall of Fame because of that? I would say no. Steroids, at least to my knowledge, I believe, were technically illegal in the game when they did them. But again, like I said, if the majority of players were doing it, then I don't think it should count. Then I don't think it should matter. So those are my thoughts on those guys. You had Scott Rowland, who, you know, he he didn't have the, the most stellar career. I think he still potentially get him in. Will he get in eventually? Maybe. Omar Vizquel, I think he's definitely someone who uh, deserves to be in. So I think he, I think he should get in eventually. Billy Wagner, not sure about that one. You know, Todd Helton, uh, maybe. You know, then you, Andrew Jones is one of those guys that, yes, his. His career slipped a lot. He had a great start to his career the first couple of years, and then it kind of took a nosedive. But I still think he deserves to be in. Uh, but, you know, but I think a lot of it, too, is with be, between the steroid era and the way players are perceived, from that era and 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 players are perceived from the more modern era maybe this is just me but it feels like there aren't as many larger than life type players that are going to be going that are considered hall of fame worthy and that's why we saw what we did this year. The guys that are considered the larger-than-life guys or, or who were back then, who, you know, were considered, you know, foregone Hall of Famers, they're the guys that were using the steroids. And that's why they're not in right now. So that it's going to be very interesting over the next couple of years to see if this is a trend that that is that continues because the the players that are starting to come up now are players who again either you're wondering about steroids or you're not sure if they've done enough to get in here are some of the names that uh here are the, the guys that could become eligible next year. Mark Teixeira could potentially see him get in, but does did he do enough? Does he really deserve it? In his era, maybe. But you know, that's the that's the other thing too, is that while the numbers have gone up, I feel like the good has diminished. You know, you have a ton of really good players who are coming up for the Hall of Fame. But do they really deserve to be in the Hall? Are they great? Were they really an icon of their era? Teixeira? I'm not sure. Jimmy Rollins? He had injury problems, but I would say yes. I Personally, I would say yes. 
Carl Crawford, iffy there. Jake Peavy, probably not. Justin Morneau, probably not, but maybe. Prince Fielder, probably not, but maybe. Joe Nathan, I would say yes. Tim Lincecum, I would say yes, even though his later years wasn't weren't very stellar. Jonathan Papelbon, I would say yes. And Ryan Howard, iffy. Iffy. I, I would definitely say iffy. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz also come up uh, next season. They're also, uh, you know, they're also a couple of guys that um, will be coming up. So, you know, again, like like I said, and and I and that's what skews the the uh, that that's what skews the uh, Hall of Fame ballots now. And I think it, it, it's a combination of a couple of things, honestly. It's, for one, the fact that you you have these players who, at the time, they were considered the, you know, the shoe-in Hall of Famers. But because of the steroid era and, and them being, uh, you know, them being... Uh, you know, them being deemed as, you know, cheaters now, they are are considered, uh, you know, they're, they're considered, um, you know, not, uh, you know, because they, they supposedly cheated to get in they're they're considered not you know not eligible now essentially so you know you got those players uh you know who are at the you know who would be at the top of the list and they bring everyone else down essentially they're because their numbers look so good even though they're artificial they're considered, you know, they they're not considered, uh, you know, as good. It's gonna make things very interesting over the next couple of years. We may see a couple of years where, you know, we may see two or three years go by that nobody gets in, and and it it's sad in a way. But it, it's not really all that surprising, unfortunately. So the, the, those are my my overall thoughts on the the state of the Hall of Fame and where where we go from here. We may we may unfortunately see a few years where either nobody. Or just one person gets in because we, like I said, we're getting to that heart of the situation, or we're getting to the heart of the, uh, you know, 
we're we're getting to the heart of the the steroid there. We're getting to those players that were the legends of the steroid era, and then you have a lot of other very good players, but especially looking at it in comparison, are they good enough to deserve to get in? And and that's the other thing. And, and and it's worse, I feel, as we progress into this modern era and some of these the modern players are retiring, is our, you know, now, just as much as in the steroid era, now it's a very much, it still is a very much, especially on a hitter's, uh, well, on both sides, on a hitter's level, it's home run or strikeout. And on a pitcher's level, it's, you know, strike out or, you know, give up a hit, essentially. So the players who, back in the day, you know, a, a you know, uh, Roberto Clemente, a Willie Mays, a, you know, um, Uh, like, you know, Ted Williams to an extent, but like a Joe DiMaggio type player, uh, Yogi Berra, some of those iconic Hall of Famers, if you really look at their stats in in a modern sense, they would probably be looked at as, you know, potential snubs because they don't have the home run numbers. You know, a, a Greg Maddox who, you know, wasn't the most dominant pitcher, was mostly a, you know, pitch-to-contact type guy, he might get snubbed now because the game has changed to where if you're not, you know, getting home runs or you're not striking a ton of guys out, even if you're a great five-tool player, like that's the thing that doesn't exist anymore. You don't have those five tool players anymore. And the guys that do, unless you are extraordinary at one thing, it hurts your stock going into the Hall of Fame. So it's going to be very interesting to see if that changes at all or how the Hall of Fame voting going forward into, you know, the modern era. So it's, it, it, the Hall of Fame voting for baseball is, is a very interesting situation right now. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be kind of fun to watch how this all plays out over the next couple of years. No one this year. But will we get anyone next year or the year after that? A lot of questions. A lot, a lot more questions than answers when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. So we'll take a quick break. Come right back. We'll talk some NBA stuff and talk some high school basketball stuff as we have the final half hour right here on Sports Unlimited. And as always, if you want to call in, be sure to do so. 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. I'll be taking your calls. 
and wrapping things up here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached, head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match, riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche, I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that forest now, can't nobody tell me Welcome back to Sports Unlimited here on Southern Sports Central with a little under a half hour left to go. Got a few other things to talk about prior before the show going off the air. Some NBA news real quick. We're over a third of the way into the season and there are some surprises and some disappointments uh, thus far this season. First in the East, prizes. Pacers, Heat, and Knicks. Knicks especially. Knicks, uh, you know, they're currently in a playoff position. They're currently in the eighth spot in the East. So, you know, they're a team that, you know, yes, got a lot of young players. They've got a good young core now. But the fact that they've already gotten in. Now, granted, this is a very weak Eastern Conference. They're under 500 and they're still in the eighth spot. But the fact that the Heat or the fact that the Knicks are playing so well early on in the season, it's a good sign for New York fans who have been have not had a lot to cheer about in a while now. Uh so I mean 
being at least partially expanded. I, I like seeing it. I definitely like seeing it. The Pacers, the Pacers playing very well. That's been a big surprise. And like I mentioned, you know, it, Atlanta playing quite well. Uh, or, excuse me, Miami playing quite well as well. Uh, you know. And then, uh, you know, disappointment. Uh, big disappointments this season uh, have been the Raptors and the Wizards. The Raptors just a few years ago were in the NBA Finals, and now they're a decent bit under 500 at 7-11 and 11 out of a playoff. Even last year, they were the second team in the East, and they, you know, they were considered one of the favorites to make it out of the East. You know, obviously had a disappointing playoff run, but they still no one expected this. No one expected this much of a drop off. And then the other big surprise is, is Washington, who's all the way down at the bottom at three and eleven. So yes, they they traded away John Wall, but they have Bradley Beal. They got Russell Westbrook. Yes, Westbrook isn't the player he used to be, but he's still, you, you would expect a lot more coming out of this Washington team. And maybe that's just me being optimistic for them, but, you know, I was expecting a lot more personally out of this franchise. The West, some big surprises. The Jazz, Suns, and Wizards. Jazz, you know, a lot of people, you know, I expected them to be good. I really did. I did expect them to be a good team. But did I expect them to be at the top of the Western Conference a third way through the season? Absolutely not. I was expecting the Lakers to be behind. You know, it's a tight race up top in the West. But the Jazz has been playing on fire, and especially after how the season ended for them and and the way that everything transpired with them, with Gobert being the one to shut the season down and then giving it to Donovan Mitchell and the the questions about their the the uh the the questions surrounding the chemistry in the in the locker room and all of that they've they've proven that there is there are no problems in Utah and they've shown that they're they may be one of the best teams in the league this year the other surprise is, is uh are are the Suns Phoenix Phoenix, I wasn't expecting them to really do all that much, and they're at they're over five hundred. They're at nine and eight. They're in a playoff spot. They're playing well. I was not expecting them to be playing this well. And then the third team that's a surprise uh, is the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they have Steph Curry back, but in the process this year, they lost Clay Thompson. This is really showing that Steph is the main driving force of that team. And that he can lead this team to be better than than what they can be without him. It really makes his stock go up. Because, you know, the the team without Steph and without uh 
Clay or without Steph and without Kevin Garnett or Kevin Durant rather last year, they were one of the worst teams in the league. But now with Steph Curry back, they're one of the they're one of the best teams or not one of the best teams in the league in the league, but they're playing a lot better than a lot of people expected them to. You know, and, and they do have some other pieces um around Steph. But it's not a but you know, a lot of people were not you know a lot of people were not expecting the Warriors to be as good as as they are. They were expecting them to be and, and the Warriors not aren't quite in the playoffs right now. They're at ten and nine. They're just outside of a playoff spot. But a lot of people were expecting them to be much lower down uh, than they are right now. The big disappointment in, well, the one big disappointment in the West is the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, the, the Mavericks were such a good team last year. They have a good young core, Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, all of that. The, the disappointment of what happened during the playoffs last year how they lost to the Clippers. You had that revenge factor, all of that. And they're at 8-10 and 10 and well outside of the playoffs right now. It's still early. They're a young team. They're going to bounce back. But you have to consider that to be a disappointment. Yes, the, yes, the West is very strong this year. And that's why a, a team that's just under 500 is out of the playoffs, whereas, you know, the Knicks have a worse record and they're in the playoffs right now and in the East. And that's a discrepancy that you're going to get in between the East and West. That's just going to happen in the NBA. But the fact that the Mavericks are are that low down with all the talent that they have, it has to be considered a disappointment at this point for any Mavericks fan. So those are some surprises and disappointments from each conference in the NBA as we're, you know, a little over a third of the way into the season. So, you know, still a lot of basketball to be played. Still a lot uh, could change over the next couple of months. But it, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Going over to uh, high school news, and then we'll uh, do some. We'll do something fun for the end of the show, kind of like what I did last week. We'll we'll talk some Royal Rumble for the end of the show. Uh, but first, some some updates uh, from the hardwood on the high school side. Charleston County is starting back up this week. Florence County starting back up uh, this upcoming Monday. Darlington County Schools also starting up on Monday. Sumter County is able to start back up today. So as we get closer and closer to region tournaments and then eventually the uh, SEHSL playoffs, uh, we're on the right track. And and it's crazy, you know, this this whole this whole season has gone by so quickly. But primarily because 
there weren't really many games played. You know, you especially here in Horry County and on the Grand Strand, obviously. You know, basically the entirety of December was in quarantine. So, it was, you know, outside of a few games, it, it it didn't feel like the season was even there. And now all of a sudden we're towards the end of the season. Uh, so it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, situation. Uh like I mentioned, like like I talked about with Lou, Region 7 4A announced that they will also play a region tournament. That is the region with uh, Hilton Head and May River and Bluffton and Buford and all those schools. Um, so that's how they're going to determine their their region champion and uh, runner-up and their playoff contenders. And that's that's honestly probably the only way that that a lot of these regions that were forced to shut down uh, for an extended period of time are going to be able to get through uh, the remainder, uh, or are are going to be able to determine um, a champion and, and and playoff contenders because at this point. The season is uh, almost over. It's it, it's very close. We're we're only a couple of weeks away before the end of the season, and and when teams have to determine who are the region uh, champions and all of that good stuff. Uh, so you know you're and and it's going to be interesting. Like I mentioned last week, it's going to be interesting to see how this changes things. If if it's going to be a situation where this is a one-off thing and everyone goes back to normal next year, or if the region tournaments may be a thing to a thing to stay, and and Garen and I had a good conversation last week about that and and what what he thought and what our coaches thought and. I'd be okay with seeing it stay. It, it would make it feel like college. It would make players prepare for what they're going to expect in college. Uh, like I mentioned, talked about the realignment proposal earlier. That I wasn't able to really give my thoughts on it because Lou called in right as I was finishing up explaining what what it is exactly. I like I kind of like it especially with how Lou described it and and how it could be mul- it could actually be multiple classifications it would kind of throw a wrench in things I feel though because there would be so many variables that you would have to take into consideration and what would a school's primary classification be considered you know and there there are a lot of questions that I still have unanswered about it. Uh but as this progresses and if if they do go ahead and and go with that proposal, those those questions will definitely be answered uh over the next couple of weeks. 
or yeah, over the next couple of weeks, I believe the uh, the SEHSO has a uh, as a classification meeting sometime in the beginning of of February. I forget the exact date, but sometime in the beginning of February. So we will get more definitive answers on what's going on with the realignment uh, in February, and. Uh, this is not for next season. This is for the season after next. So everything stays the same, stays the way it is uh, for the 2021-2022 season. Uh, one other big, uh, one other big uh, high school news uh, before we move on to our fun little final segment. Kelvin Roller was named as the new Dillon head coach, was the offensive coordinator there. He's replacing the legendary Jackie Hayes, who won multiple state championships at Dillon. Tough act to follow. He's already he's already well versed in uh in the program, but kind of surprising at the same time that Dillon, you know, decided to replace such a legendary head coach with you know, with someone within the program. They must have a lot of faith in Roller. Uh, Tried to get him on uh, this morning, but wasn't able to do so. May try next week. uh, Talk to him about everything going on um, with with the Dylan program and, and where they go from here. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll definitely have a big show next week with, um, NFL, with the Super Bowl talks and all of that and, and have a few other, uh, have a few other noteworthy things to talk about next week as well. So big big show next week, that's for sure. Uh, so be sure to tune in next week for that. And and we're gonna finish it off real quick uh, with a little uh, a little over ten minutes left to go on the show. If you want to get any quick last things in, be sure to call on in three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. That number again three two three seven eight four nine six eight one will Finish things off with a little, uh, some fun stuff real quick. Uh, some, some fun talks. Uh, I, I'm, I am also a, a big wrestling fan and this week. One of the biggest shows of the year, Royal Rumble this weekend. Run down the card for you guys, uh, and, and give you my predictions. Tag match for the women's tag titles. Oscar and Charlotte Flair against Nia Jackson, Chandler Baszler. Probably gonna see Oscar and Charlotte uh, retain unless they are deciding to um, unless they are deciding to have Charlotte win the Women's Royal Rumble, which I doubt they do two years in a row. Although you could also have Oscar win it. So, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I'm gonna say Oscar and Charlotte retain. Drew McIntyre against Goldberg. While 
I had while while it seems like it's WWE's MO at this point to give Goldberg the title anytime he goes after it. I think they're going to keep it on McIntyre unless they're deciding to give him his big win. Unless they're giving him the win to get it back and have him be able to celebrate with it with fans this time around uh, at WrestleMania. Give him his WrestleMania moment uh, this time with fans. Uh, that that could be a reasoning for them switching it just to set up the rematch. But I'm going to say McIntyre retains. Roman Reigns against Kevin Owens in a last man standing match for the Universal title. I, I think Roman's going to retain this. Uh, I'm not sure who they have him prepared Um to go up against at Mania, I have a feeling I know who it's going to be, or at least I hope I do, but we'll see. And those are actually the only three non-Royal Rumble matches scheduled as of right now. A very light card as of right now, but I'm sure they'll add a few filler matches in there. Royal Rumble matches, first the women. This is this is the tougher one to call. There doesn't really seem to be anyone really fully positioned as a top star on the women's roster right now. But just just out of nowhere, I'm gonna say I think Bailey wins it. I, I think Bailey will win it. Uh, set up Bailey versus Sasha. Mania, you know, um, and and that that would definitely be a match that fans would want to see. That would definitely be a match that fans would want to see. Uh, so that's my prediction for for the women. For the men, there's the obvious answer. But then we all know how WWE does things. The answer that should be clear, but but at the same time, I wouldn't put money on it. Although this would be the kind of you know Vince McMahon type situ type thing to do is give the fans what they really want and what they've been wanting for years. When fans aren't there. So I could totally see him giving Daniel Bryan the win to the fans. I, I could I could see it happening. He is the odds on favorite. He's the you know he's the one that I I expect to win. But this is this is WWE, this is Vince McMahon. Now granted over the last couple of years, we've seen this happen. Over the last couple of years, we have seen the, you know, the the favorite to win, win it a couple of times. Shinsuke Nakamura a few years ago, Becky Lynch, 
you know, we we've seen it happen. So it's not like it can't happen. And especially this year of all years, I could see it happening. But whether or not they decide to pull the trigger is the big question. The big the the big question I have going into this. And now granted kind of ironically this year there are there are fewer only a few days away there are fewer entrants announced than there have been in years past but and maybe this is me just being a cynic but this is not the year to be doing crazy surprise entrance because you're not going to have the fans there to give it that pop now, me saying this probably means that I'm wrong and that that's probably exactly what they're going to do. They're going to have some crazy surprise. They're going to have, like, the rock return or something, and and it's just going to piss everyone off. But my opinion on it, I don't think this is the year to be doing something like that. Like I said, that probably means that they are going to do it. But now is the now the question is you know do you you know is it worth it to do it at this point? Uh, my my thought on that is, or at least my opinion on it is, I I wouldn't because it wouldn't have the same effect without the fans. But it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be an interesting weekend. And, hey, to be fair, WWE has a spotlight on them this weekend because there's nothing else big, at least, going on. There's no Pro Bowl, no NHL All-Star game. Use that to your advantage. Will they? Highly doubt it. But could they or should they? Yeah, they, they definitely should. That'll just about wrap it up for me uh, for this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Got a big show. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. Get you guys ready for Super Bowl Sunday. Chiefs versus Buccaneers. Brady versus Mahomes. Lots of big storylines to talk about next week. Uh, Lots of things to cover next week with the Super Bowl. And then obviously we'll we'll still talk about all the normal things. Uh talk about what whatever recruiting things are going on. Talk about what's been going on in high school basketball. Uh maybe talk some college basketball as we are slowly getting towards March Madness and I it it's weird for me to say this whole this whole year has just been weird. Uh and there have been a lot of issues there with that. Uh, so that'll, uh, that'll just about wrap it up for me. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Good morning. And like I mentioned, we'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about next week. So I'm Brandon Bissaving saying so long, and we'll talk to you guys next week. So long, everyone. <laughs>